Hello and welcome to Monocle on Culture. I'm Robert Bounds. On the show today, what else could we possibly talk about but cats? You may have read the reviews by now, but Tom Hooper's adaptation of Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical, which is based on the poems loosely of T.S. Eliot, has failed to win the praise of the critics, but that doesn't mean it's not going to be a huge hit. The film stars a motley crew of actors, dancers, pop stars and other celebs. Judy Dench, Idris Elba, Jason Derulo... Question mark, James Corden, Taylor Swift, Ian McKellen. The list goes on. In their strange feline costumes, and we'll have more on those later, they prance and sing their way around a rather post-apocalyptic-looking central London as the quotes, Jellical Cats. They're headed for the Jellical Ball, for what seems to be like a singing contest where Judy Dench selects one cat to fly to the moon in a hot air balloon. Confused? Well, we've seen it, and we're still scratching our heads and our fleas too. So what attracts such big names to a film that turns out to be this strange? With their claws freshly sharpened today, uh, we welcome Simran Hans, film critic for The Observer, New Review, and the writer and film critic Casper Salmon to the studio. Welcome both to the programme. Hiya. Hello. Um, now, did this film, did it take you long to sharpen your claws on the sort of scratchy cat post of cats? <laughs> I, um, I was reflecting when I saw the film that what's so startling about it is that immediately, it isn't, it isn't something that sort of gradually dawns upon you uh, as you're watching it. No, immediately you realise what a hellish time you're going to be in for. And it's like a kind of a slap to the face, that opening <laughs> shot. And it happens in the first shot when we drop from the sky straight down to this infernal Soho, as you say, where everybody's just prancing about. And I say everybody, I mean cats. So much prancing. <laughs> they're prancing. and Industrial they're Industrial levels of prancing. Yeah, and they're singing this song that doesn't make any sense. And that is the film. That is the, <laughs> the whole of the film. And it's all like that. So it just hits you right from the off that oh my god this is going to be my life for the next two hours casper there setting out his stool simran were we warned by the trailer much watched on youtube much warned about by your fellow critics could you smell a rat with the trailer I think the trailer has to be one of my cinematic events of 2019. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've watched it. And what's funnier about all of this, all of this, you know, catastrophe, is that with this trailer, Tom Hooper and the Cats team got so freaked out by the response and, you know, people kind of making fun of what they could see on screen, is that apparently they reportedly recut the film. And so I imagine a lot of people like me who were familiar with the trailer and then watching the film were wondering, what did they take out? Because <laughs> yeah. it's still utterly baffling. It's a strange position to be in where the film is just like a very long version of the trailer, but not in that way, but in the sense that there's no light, there doesn't seem to be a lot more light and shade in the movie than there is in the trailer or more sense made of of whatever happens, right? It's a, it's a strange thing. Well, I mean, the first problem with Cats, and, and maybe we should begin with the problems because there are many, <laughs> is that the play itself is not logical. The play is absurd, it's plotless, there's no real narrative and it kind of relies on the spectacle and the abstraction of the dancing, of the sort of modernism and um, it, it drops you in that world and, and, you know, I'm not really into musicals, it's not my beat at all. So it's but relying on the, on the furry leotard. 
I think so. And and the Which kind is a, of a dread phrase. Well, we'll come on to the fairy okay. leotards later, okay. I'm sure. But it relies on the sort of sexual energy and the the modern dance aspect of it. And um, not on the story or the plot, but for a movie, you do need some of that to anchor you. You do need to have a sense of being able to comprehend what's going on. And um, that Tom Hooper thought that this would lend itself to cinema is just completely confusing to me. Yeah, it was never a film. Never in a million years was this a film. And in the theatre, I mean, there are so many things that you have to cast out of your mind, not least that you're watching this on a stage. So that probably helps you get rid of the notion that you're watching these humans being cast. You have some camaraderie with the actors because they're right in front of you. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think, uh, I I believe in the play, they actually adventure out into the crowd and kind of sniff and scratch at you and things. I think I remember this. (laughs) I think I remember this. Yeah. yeah, but here, I mean, in a film, we actually get close-ups on these cats, and that's such a disaster. I mean, it's so ugly. <laughs> We've talked about the trailer. On the off chance that our listeners are not familiar with the subject matter, let's uh, let's jump into this quickly. Tonight is a magical night where I choose the cat that deserves a new life. Going to the ball could get dangerous. <laughs> Come on! Let's dance! I judge a cat by its soul. I've got plenty of soul. Spotlight! And a drum roll, please. Milk! Wow, there we go. Everyone's got a lot of soul. You can tell because they're telling you. Uh, which is always good. Show not, tell not show, right? That's what they never say. When was the last time, Simran, a, a movie had this much sort of buzz, negative or positive? As you said, so many people watched the, watched the trailer and you felt that Tom Hooper and his team might even have recut the film to answer some of the online criticism and things. When, when, when can you remember a, a buzz, for want of better word, uh, 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 than this? I mean, the the cycle of trailers and posters and announcements of cast members is so kind of constant and relentless that they all seem to sort of blur into one for me. And, and usually I avoid trailers, actually. I think it makes your job as a critic quite hard going in with a sort of predetermined notion okay, of stuff. Yeah. But what this kind of trailer recutting fiasco reminded me of was Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, <laughs> okay. There, there had been a, an animated version in the works. They released the trailer, and fans were so furious with the animation that the film, I believe, um, had to sort of like be fixed in post production. Um, and so, I the won- film that seems uh, just judging the trailer. I've seen the trailer of Sonic the Hedgehog makes. Detective Pikachu looked like Citizen Kane. <laughs> I mean, I would like us to all put some respect on Detective Pikachu's name. I love Detective Pikachu. It's so good. You're talking to a fan here. <laughs> but um, but yeah, and I wonder if it sets a sort of slightly troubling precedent for filmmakers to treat their films as a product that then has to be tailored to the interests of the market. I think that's uh, that's a bit worrying. Yeah, it is worrying. Is that is that a normal thing? I mean. You guys are in, in that in that sort of circle of critics. I mean, it seems sort of disheartening, but realistic. I suppose that this this sort of thing might happen. Yeah, I think that's happening increasingly. And we've got Is the it? new we've got the new Star Wars coming out this week mm. as well. That that and I think that film was also subject to a great deal of fan 
commentary, criticism, pushback, whatever you might call it. And as I understand it, although I haven't seen the film yet, it looks like they've kind of rode back on all of the innovations that Ryan Johnson rather mm. brought to the to the trilogy. So yeah, we're getting that a lot. But the thing with cats, which is absolutely joyous, is that you can't <laughs> you can't He says warming to his theme. <laughs> yeah, but you can't notice where that work went in, man. It's just not there. I mean, they, they, they've done some stuff so you can tell that, I mean, they must have. So they must have spent ages trying to get every little hair on the cats digitally inscribed. Mm. But I mean, what's the point of that when you can see the makeup line on their noses? My favourite thing is this clip of Tom Hooper on the red carpet at the world premiere in New York and a reporter says you know are you happy with the finished product and he looks so tired and so drained and he says well you know I finished it at 8am this morning and I was up for 36 hours putting the finishing touches on the film and uh, he has the air of somebody who's just guiltily giving in their half-finished homework to the teacher oh no yeah I finished it on the bus on the way to school (laughs) but it's finished it's done sir Um, (laughs) let's talk about the costumes Um, we kind of we, we talked about this very right at the top of the show Casper you talked about how you know there's been lots of CGI effort to get each hair perfectly sort of matted well in, ad- the, in the case adequately would have been would have in the been case great. of poor Jennifer Hudson as Grizabella mm-hmm. a, a cat a, a formerly wonderful cat that's fallen on hard times and doesn't she let you know it in the film but what, what let's talk about the sort of hair and makeup and the costumes of CGI how convincing are these because it's a tough it is one of those things it's a tough ask these are people playing cats they are still pretty much like the musical the original musical in the late 1970s I suppose they're people in leotards with some some hair so I, I think Casper you should do the honours of trying to I thought you were going to get pic- him to dance not not yet <laughs> but uh, I think you should try and paint a picture for the listeners of what the cats actually look like yeah yeah oh gosh thank you uh, well we've got some slick cats and we've got some fluffy cats yeah uh, I think it's worth saying that straight up because some of them I think been... Simmons enjoyed your review in, in Prospects and <laughs> well, so did I some, some of them have been really smoothed down and they've got quite a sort of um, uh, bog brushy kind of tail and then we've got some some slightly more bushy ones yeah. namely Judy Dench who is a kind <laughs> of um, <laughs> a, a walking cushion she's a wa- so she's luxurious isn't she oh she really like a sort is of crimson barge yes she's she- like a, a a cushion with the Linda Barker seal of approval <laughs> okay Judy Dench has fur all of the cats are sort of digitally um, enhanced. <laughs> Rob, is, Rob is dying right now. I just, no, but, I just want to take that close out of context. Judy Dench, <laughs> comma, has fur. Judy Dench has fur, but also, confusingly, she wears a fur coat. <laughs> Several of the cats have fur, but they also wear fur coats. And uh, Idris They've Elba, got eyebrows and as Mr. McCaver- Mr. McCavity, Idris Elba, He's he's quite furry and he's got a fur coat on as well because he's a baddie, so he's got this big kind of collar-up fur it's, coat. Yeah, it's like a pimp coat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that is... well, and Idris Elba brings lots and lots more questions really um, bubbling to the surface because lots and lots of cats are kind of smoothed down, but Idris Elba has been torsoed up, if anything, mm. and when he reveals his full cat body... Buff, <laughs> his, buff, his, buff cat. His cat body <laughs> uh, in his big uh, song and dance 
number. Um, it, it really is alarming. I think the the, 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 the level of sexuality and and catness on but, display. Yeah, but it's it's very it's very strange because he is a cat. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he is. Simran, everybody in the film is a cat. Everyone's a cat, Simran. <laughs> but he sits and walks like a human. Yeah. I and mean, also, Jason, let's not forget Jason Derulo as a cat in there as well. So, I mean, we've got some, we've got some sexy cats. My questions, I mean, there are so many. Why go to the bother and the trouble of giving them sort of these creepy wiggling tails and cat ears and whiskers yet maintain their hands and feet as human. Yeah. Yeah, it's a funny one. Um, Jennifer Hudson, human hands. Taylor Swift, in her cameo, dancing shoes. Um, I didn't really get that. No, not paws, but shoes. Yep, some uh, have shoes, some have some This have is feet. not a continuity error, is it? I mean, we, we can kind of... There, there, are, there are kind of reams and reams of YouTube clips of amusing, you know, digital watches on, on Edwardian princes and things in films. But these aren't continuity errors. They were done for a reason. Or do you think they were just part of the actors and actresses' riders that I'm not doing that number without wearing shoes? <laughs> I'm not... Do- <laughs> Taylor Swift was like, I'm not... Do- I'm playing Glastonbury next year. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not doing this with pause. What do you think? What, what do you think was in these um, actors' contracts in terms of this? Taylor Swift was clearly like, "I'll do this, but I'm only going to do like X amount of days of work on it." Okay. So she, her her scene is very short. She has one number, and then she's out of there. And I she's think she's got the star edit. Yeah, exactly. Can we just do a quick whiz through the cast list? And I'd like you to just sit because I'd like to talk about who 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 does come out of this alive. Okay, with at least eight lives intact, Casper. Um, no, You're making a face. No, hardly anyone comes. This is like the Somme. Nobody <laughs> comes out of this alive. Um, so Francesca Hayward is a. She's she's new. She's a balletic presence. She plays Victoria. What do we think of her? I feel bad for Francesca Hayward. Um, she's clearly an incredibly talented ballerina. Yeah. She is part of the Royal Ballet, um, and this is her kind of meant to be her big break. And yet we don't really see her given any opportunity to do anything other than kind of make a slightly sad and bewildered expression on her face. Also, there is the sort of slightly troubling aspect of her being completely whitewashed. She's mixed race. She's half Kenyan. She's quite fair skinned. And I, I understand that you don't have to be have your blackness emphasised. She's certainly the whitest cat in the film. But she is the whitest cat in the film. And mm. uh, her even down to her hands. And it's it's sort of troubling Pause. that she, or, well, they're not paws, they they're, they're, they're human they hands. hands right. <laughs> they're fully human hands. And it's troubling to me the sort of racial coding in the film of, you know, um, Jason Derulo being Rum Tum Tugger, who is the sort of sexy cat, <sighs> the, uh, sassy cat. the sassy R&B cat. Um, McCavity, Idris Elba being the sort of, again, like very sexualized, villainous black male Snoop cat. cat. Mm. Um, and yeah, Fran- Francesca Hayward is is made into this sort of innocent Snow White kitten, and uh, I'm not sure how I feel about that. And Jennifer Hudson, don't forget the um, oh yes, the, the um, sex worker cat. Grizabella. Mm. Did, Did you, you see her as a as a metaphor for a sex worker? She's a she's a lady of the night who's seen better days. I believe. I thought she was a kind of washed up singer. I don't know. She reminded me of. Have you read Marianne Faithfull's autobiography about her kind of going from hanging out with the Stones and then she became a heroin addict and literally lived on the streets, but kind of comes back and has this wonderful career afterwards. She kind of seemed quite. She did a bit Marianne Faithfulish. Ah, that's interesting. I, I wonder if it is actually implied that Idris Elba is sort of pimp 
in the film. Okay. That McCavity is a pimp. It's unclear. It's it's just like everything, like any kind of social, political, cultural comment that the film could be making. It's just vague enough that it could be anything, right? <laughs> yeah. And then and then throughout, there's this really sort of disturbing sexual energy. <laughs> <laughs> which we do have to mention because so you've it, talked it really, about Idris, Idris kind awkward. of getting his kiss off and, and we see the kind of his his sort of fine cat body mm-hmm. there's quite a lot of strange sexual energy in it is it catish sexual sexual energy is it kind of cats sparring and shagging in your garden at night or is it something stranger than that there's quite a lot of shivery bodies and erect tails and and, and hackles if, if cats have hackles like dogs there's a bit of that isn't there I think the the sort of story itself has an inherent undercurrent of sexual energy of cats rubbing up against each other yeah. of the tails kind of becoming erect all of this sort of loaded imagery and yet the cats have no genitals which I'm not advocating for cat genitals on screen to be clear mm-hmm. but so many so many good pull if this was a story there would be so many good pull quotes coming out of this <laughs> Well, no, Simran, I think show. we need to hear what, what actually are you advocating in that case. Yeah, so if, because these cats seem to be, for one, for, they seem to be neutered. Or they look like cats to me in real life. Like, you can't see their, you can't see what's going on. You can't, you can't see, see what gender they are. It's true, you can't see. And I think that's for the best. But then why do they have boobs? Why, <laughs> why do the, fema- the female cats have human boobs? Yeah, they should have eight nipples down their torso. But they have two breasts with I no agree. nipples. I agree, it's wrong. But what what I'm saying, what my what my kind of point yeah. is about the the sexual energy of it is that there could have been something quite fun to play with. You could have made it really kind of funny and weird and dirty. And yeah. if if a filmmaker had the courage to kind of amplify all of that sexual energy and kind of channel it then perhaps it could have been an interesting film but the problem is that Tom Hooper is so aggressively middle brow his modus operandus is this kind of tasteful yeah middle of the road sensible filmmaking which you know you see with the the king's speech you see it with his version of Les Miserables you also um, see it with the Danish girl as well this attempt at kind of tasteful prestige and that does not map on to Cats no because Cats is a mad camp nightmare isn't it and it, exactly and it, it, do you think he should have embraced a bit more of that Casper? yeah well he should have what he what I think and I completely agree with what someone's saying what I think the film shows is that he should have gone one way or the other mm. and this film is, is exactly in the middle what there should have been was would be either a stark formal approach where you kind of perhaps take the CGI out and we're looking at humans and you strip it and you actually make it and you make it a piece of kind of musical you make yeah, it a sort of Pina Bausch and it's all about the dance and sure. the physicality yeah. go Brecht on that okay or you kind of embrace that campness that vulgarity you put on a show like you really do something gaudy but also you know a la Baz Luhrmann or something like that that really rejoices in this stuff and what we're left with here is this bedraggled thing that makes no sense and never tries to explain itself and it needs to a bit yeah so and and in terms of the explaining itself I presume this sticks very closely to the stage musical so any exposition of plot 
as in inverted commas, it happens, is all done in song. So there's hardly any talking in the film. It's all done in verse and, and with, a, with a musical backdrop. That's tiring, isn't it? I, I found it quite tiring to... I did, I, I don't know whether I should say this on the programme. I did have a tiny nap about halfway through. Because <laughs> as Holly said, Holly said to me, it was basically like the X, X Factor where all the cats came on and had to introduce themselves and do their song, which is about their personality and their life and their backstory. And then Judy Dench ju- judges them and then there's a winner. And that was it was kind of like when every single cat from James Corden's sort of fat cat to every single other one of them had come out and done their party piece, You, it became kind of wearing. Do you feel that we could have had a bit more exposition of what a jellical cat is? It sounds like a rude word. It's utterly tedious. I mean, there's a moment in the middle of the film, and I only kind of realised this in retrospect. I, I was looking at my notes that I'd written while watching the movie. I was like, why is there a random dance number in the middle of the film that has no purpose and I guess it's just I I figured it was just to utilize all of the ensemble and show that you know they're doing dances and this is a stage musical and it was a callback to that later I realized that was the Jellicle Ball oh that was the Jellicle Ball that was the key event that had it had been leading up to and it was so confusing no one had said welcome to yeah I've seen a lot of films you think that I would have been able to process this information, but um, it's so kind of obscured. I just, I can't. Awful. I, I should add that somebody told me this morning, and I'm really sorry to have to say this, that Jellicle is apparently an approximation of the phrase dear little uh, in a kind of baby speak oh, voice. Jellicle. Jellicle cat, which um, makes my insides flare up with my, pain my my flesh is certainly cool. I've got like hairs rising on the back of my neck but not in a good way yeah thanks for uh, shining light on that Casper I know you wanted to talk about um, Rebel Wilson strange role and she seems to inhabit we've talked about Judy Dench in her fur a furry Judy Dench in a fur coat you have problems with Rebel Wilson's outfit well for no reason that I could discern Rebel Wilson is uh, the only character in the film uh, who has a costume that can somehow unzip, but which is also her, her own skin. Her own skin. So she's divesting herself, I think, twice in the film, of her own outer casing, her own furry outer casing, uh, uh, for reasons of comic relief or uh, towards the end of the film in order to escape uh, being tied up. So yes. It's a really confusing moment and it completely <laughs> pulls the rug out from under the whole film because who are these cats and what what does it... Who are these creatures? Yeah. Everything's made up. Can they all do it? And if they could all unzip, they could all escape. Yeah, and and how how far can you unzip? Can right down to the kind of flayed body where of the does it, cat? Does it come down? I mean, where? I mean, hers seems to be well. Strangely enough, because she's a human actor. Yes. Kind of finishes about it unzips between the legs, and then you presumably zip it up around the back. I think it, I think the zip ends around the area of the uh, Mons Venus. <laughs> Um, also, Casper, in your review, you said they ha- the cats have no bums. <laughs> Are you actually glad that we're not sort of subject to the fifty p piece cat's bum? I mean, I should clarify that they have they they have bottoms. 
yeah, uh, they have bottoms. And, and, and many of the cast are dancers, so in fact, that element of their anatomy is really nicely fleshed out. Yeah. But they don't they don't have anuses, crucially. <laughs> and that's the bit that's lacking. And I, no, I would have liked to see some anuses on display, I think. Okay, so uh, that was Cats, um, as, descri- as discussed by Simran Hans and Casper Salmon. Simran, I know you wanted to talk about Taylor Swift's role as Bomb Ballerina. Do you think this um, improves the lot well, of the th- world's uh, one of the world's biggest pop stars? Well, I thought that Taylor would be an interesting person to go into a little bit more detail about because she's really the only person who comes out of this mess unscathed. And I don't know whether that has anything to do with her celebrity, with her contract in the film and the sort of stipulations of the role, with the role of being a sexy cat called Bumble Arena. Yeah. Um, it's, it's hard to kind of know which thing enables her to kind of, yeah, come away unscathed. But... She is having a a kind of interesting moment, I think. Her last album was uh, Lover, which came out this year, was kind of considered to be broadly a critical success, although kind of muted compared to some of her previous records. Mm -hmm. But I think people saw it as a return to form, which really should have paved the way for her to have this explosive Christmas moment. She's just turned 30 the other week. She has just been announced as the Sunday headliner for Glastonbury next year, which is the Glastonbury's 50th anniversary, I These believe. are all big, big good things. Exactly. And so ideally, this is her first like major film role in a musical. She's written a song with Andrew Lloyd Webber for the film called Beautiful Ghosts, which is terrible. And she she should be kind of shining in this moment. And I think some of that glow allows her to kind of get through the film while the other actors will clearly be kind of remembered for this and it will the film will be kind of yeah looked back on I think as a career low for a lot of people whereas with Taylor she sort of has fun with the role she does this sort of schoolgirl brattishness she has a schoolgirl brattishness to her she stomps around she um does a little British accent which is quite funny um and she's clearly having a good time You know, some of the other actors in the film look like they're having a terrible time. As I said before, Jennifer Hudson is crying in every single one of her scenes. I know, my heart goes out to Jennifer Hudson, but I kind of stopped wanting to watch Jennifer Hudson by the end of it. I, it was it was sort of genu- it's harrowing. It was a sort of harrowing. It was she seemed to have such a harrowing backstory that came alive on the screen that didn't seem to match the film. It seemed like she came from another sort of film somehow. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? She walked in off another off stage three, and she was like, "Right, what's my role? Right, oh god, you know." And she'd come from a properly a grown up sad film rather than the children's uh, bit of sadness. Well, exactly, and you have you have to remember that this film has been certificated as a U. Yeah. So. You know, I I think they imagine that children will go and see it. But with with Taylor Swift in particular, I just feel like she really kind of leaned into the the camp showiness of the the whole piece, whereas the others were clearly instructed to play it very, very straight uh, with no kind of glimmer in their eye, no kind of swing in their hips. No arched eyebrow. Exactly. (laughs) Whereas she kind of she has this knowingness about her performance. And I think that saves her from the film. Um, and she also, I suppose, has the advantage in Cats of turning up 
halfway through and leaving almost directly afterwards, which is what you think quite a lot of the other stars might have wanted to have done, having seen the final cut. Yeah, she's not really in the ensemble. She just comes on, she sings a, a sort of sexy, slinky song about Idris Elba's macavity. She dusts everyone with a can of catnip, which makes everyone sort of sparkly and drugged up. And then she goes on her merry way. It's um, it's definitely a metaphor for uh, the closing set of Glastonbury in many ways. I hope she sings Macavity at Glastonbury. <laughs> I feel like it will be a wasted opportunity if she doesn't. Do you think the Glastonbury crowd will enjoy that ironic moment? I think that they would enjoy it. I think they'd enjoy it more than they'd enjoy Beautiful Ghosts, which is the single. Yes, bad, isn't it? Um, Simran, thank you very much. Casper, um, you wanted to talk. You've taken us in a slightly different direction. You want to talk about Edward the Conqueror by Roald Dahl. Yeah, well, I thought about this short story, Edward the Conqueror by Roald Dahl, because I suppose I must have read it around the time that my sister was very, very briefly obsessed with the soundtrack of Cats, which she'd been to see in in London. And I was reading this uh, as a teenager. And I think it's quite fun reading Roald Dahl when you're a teenager, if you're reading his grown-up stories, which are quite kinky and weird and perverted, and to feel that you've moved on from the kind of child perversion of his kids' books to actually a a kind of much more uh, out-in-the-open weirdness and cruelty is is really fun yeah. and it made me think of this short story which finds a woman becoming obsessed with the idea that a cat is the reincarnation of the composer list uh it's quite a um again like with cats and i'm going to draw try to draw the line here oh go on well, it relies on quite a large suspension of disbelief. Yeah, but the, what's quite interesting about this short story is that, unlike Cats, the film, it's good on cats. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> because cats aren't anything. They're not the reincarnation of Liszt, and they're not, as the film Cats depicts, fun-loving. No. They're just cats. They do their thing. They want to lie down. They want to scratch at some things. But every now and then they play a little bit. But they're not, you know, there isn't anything more to them. They're certainly not the second greatest composer in the history of music. Yeah, exactly. The, handsome, I mean, it's unlikely. the handsomest composer in the history of music. The handsomest. Franz, Franz Liszt. <laughs> Gosh, he was so fine. But um, <laughs> the, but the, what's really fun about the short story uh, about Edward the Conqueror is that this woman is putting all of this stuff onto this completely sort of blameless cat and it ends up in this absolute horror show as her husband becomes jealous obviously of this cat that she is now prizing so greatly and takes matters into his own hands and does the, is the cat in question in the Roald Dahl story is it a cat-sized cat or or a full-sized cat? <laughs> does it move in and out of, of does it sort of move in and out of scale like the cats in Cats do? <laughs> I think it's a standard puss-sized cat. Although it does have um, it does have big eyebrows. I believe from from my recollection, it's got quite listy eyebrows. What though are its paws like for? doing i mean i'm thinking of composition i'm thinking of scales i'm thinking of spanning at least four octaves what's edward the conqueror's paws like it's just uh, again i think just a, a a normal pawed cat and when uh, when she plays list on the piano she finds the cat's attention awakening which is partly what leads her to believe he's the reincarnation of Liszt. It's com- a completely mad story. But, <laughs> but I do love it for being so sort of, you know, just just clearly about a cat. You know, it's so stupid. And it's yet just a cat of... doing cat stuff. Yeah, it? exactly. It refuses yeah. any link to... Uh... 
to Franz Liszt. Casper, thank you very much for that. Thanks for uh, thanks for <laughs> you're welcome. Thanks for uh, throwing your paper boat into the choppy waters of the Monocle Culture Show for the first time. What a strange half hour we've had. Um, thank you both very much indeed. That brings us to the end of this week's show. Cat, if you dare out in cinemas now. Thank you very much to my guest today, Simran Hands and Casper Salmon, and of course to my producer, Holly Fisher. We'll be back at the same time next week for our 2019 roundup in film, music and novels. But for the time being, for me, Robert Bound, thank you very much for tuning in.